Hello and welcome. This episode takes us all the way to Australia. For me personally, the leading country of great new music at the moment. And my guest today is Steve Cooter. He's a vinyl collector who has 74,000 followers on Instagram. And I always kind of wondered, he might have even sort of invented the genre on it. Because when I joined the platform in 2017, he was already there. And it was already like a whole profile of beautiful pictures. And so maybe we're going to get an answer during our conversation today. So um, yeah, hello and welcome, Steve. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure, definitely. Because, you know, like I said, um, but let's, you know, start music first. How did your love for music start? Do you have like a um, particular memory? Uh, I wouldn't say it's one specific memory. I think like a lot of people, especially of my age bracket or age demographic, it, it, it came from the home. It came from parents. It came from um, my parents were quite social people. There was always people in and out of our home. There was always people, you know, my parents often entertained in the home and music was always a part of that. Music always was playing. Music was always, you know, the topic of conversation amongst them and, the, and their guests at the house at the time. And even when there weren't any guests, there was always music playing in our home. So I think like a lot of people, my love of music and my love of particular artists came from the home and came from my parents' influence. Um, I, I, if, you, if you're asking for a specific memory, um, th there's one in particular. I, I remember, um, you know, even at a young age, I would have been six or seven, um, curating the music for a lot of my parents' dinner parties when I should have been in bed. I, I remember just lining up the, the, the CDs or the vinyl going, okay, this is going to be next, that's going to be next. And, you know, and I had to make sure that, you know, things were cohesive. I wouldn't jump from one particular band to another willy-nilly. I would need to put some strategy and some thought into to what would work well depending on the mood depending on the, the types of people here depending on what stage of the 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 dinner party um <laughs> things were at so i remember uh, from a very early age curating uh, my parents parties and you said you mentioned cds and vinyl so it was both uh, mm. it was both yeah look i i was born in the early 80s and so Yeah, when I was old enough to, you know, have some type of uh, opinion or have some type of, uh, I suppose, conscientious uh, view of, of music, it was right when vinyl was, I suppose, fading out for the first time with the advent of CDs. So my parents had, and even to this day still have both. Um, you know, CDs and vinyl as uh, as their main music formats, and so it was a bit of both, um, and and consequently the the music um, available on both those formats varied as well. So um, from a vinyl perspective, like a lot of parents of that demographic, it was you know a lot of Fleetwood Mac, a lot of um, Eagles, a lot of you know lo lots of 60s and 70s music, which I still love to this day, and I think that's where my love of music uh, came from. And I think from a CD perspective, it was a lot more, uh, I suppose, more contemporary things. Some things a bit daggy, so a lot of like latter, say, you know, Rod Stewart. And I don't mean cool Rod Stewart from the 70s or anything. I mean like real kind of, you know, that daggy period that he was in and kind of still is to some extent. So there was a lot of that. It's a lot of I'm sailing and. Oh, yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> His early stuff I quite liked. Yeah. His early stuff was 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 quite good, especially, you know, it was very bluesy and it was it was true rock and roll, uh, blues rock and roll as well, whereas I think as he got a bit older and was, you know, trying to keep up with a different type of audience or an audience that um, grew older with him, he kind of went to that adult contemporary side of things, which worked well for him career-wise, but I think it turned a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of his early fans off. Yeah, and, it, you know, it filled stadiums, so... Hey, it, hey, it, yeah, that's it. it. It pays the bills, so hey, I don't blame him. Um, and you know, with your with the musical memories you have, did you ever 
think or did you ever practice like going into DJing? Because that's like, you know, that sort of experience you had like at a young age that, you know, if I if I play that song, that's keeping the vibe on this, you know, party or mm. this dinner party going up. Is that something you ever been interested in or did? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I grew up with a lot of friends who... Um, were DJs and still are DJs. I'm not a DJ myself. Um, I've dabbled. I've given it a go. It's not as easy as it looks. I wish I, I wish I was a lot better at it. Um, it does take a lot of practice, and it is an art form. Um, and I, I truly believe that. But um, you know, it's I'm, I'm often to this day asked to curate the music of parties. I'm going to a wedding um, in a few weeks' time, and they've asked me a good friend's wedding, and they've asked me to uh, to be in charge of the, the the curation of the music there. And so it's something I'm I'm still very much interested in. I love doing it. It's a passion of mine because I really think music at any occasion, be it a, a wedding or a birthday party or um, you know, dare I say it, a funeral or whatever. I think music plays such an important role in in setting the tone and setting the mood of any function. So yeah. And you're always sort of like, you know, I've I've been asked before because I'm the the music nerd in the friends group. So they sort of always assume that you're a good at DJing when you're you know have like a lot of collection of music. But that's that's just half of the you know of the task. Because I've seen people fail and I've seen people succeed and it's sometimes mm. sad really when it happens. And no one's yep. no one's on the dance floor and that's sort of like always my worst uh Idea. Yeah, and I think to be honest, and again, look, this is a lot easier said than done. But I think it's 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 a lot a lot of the time where DJs fail is they don't read the crowd, they don't read the room. Like they'll be you know they'll be playing a banger and everyone's on the floor and it's great, and then they'll just change the tune entirely. And you see that when you are in a club. And look, I'm I'm, I'm a parent now, so I don't really go out to clubs that often. But when I did, I remember when a DJ shift finished. And a new DJ started. That's when you notice the real shift in tone and a real shift in 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 energy. And it went from one style of music or one style of artist to something completely different. There was no harmonious or no ha organic um, uh, journey between the old DJ set and the new DJ set. And they just lost a lot of people. And it took them a long a long time, if at all, to win those people back. And I think a lot of the time a DJ needs to read the room and read the crowd, read the energy as well um, when they are switching tracks. And, you know, sort of and playing with their own ego a little bit that, you know, it's not mm. like the most, I'm not going to change all your minds. I'm, you know, they're all just here for having a good time. And I don't. That's right. Yeah. You know, I don't have to Even, show you that I'm the yeah. most intellectual in music. Um, if that mm. comes over your feeling of having mm. a good time, that's always something. And look, I think. I think every music lover's fallen victim of that. There is yeah, times, even at like a, even at an intimate dinner party that I've been hosting at my house, and you know things are going well music-wise, and then I'll put on something that I really love, and I really hope that other people will love. It might be a bit left of centre, it might be a bit quirky, and it either goes one way, or it could either go, <laughs> or, or it could go pear-shaped. Um, and so, and I'm like, okay, guys, all right, all right, good feedback. I'll, I'll change it. I'll put something else on. But you know, I think I think everyone falls victim to that. Yeah, of course, because you love. I think I think music lovers love sharing any discoveries they have, be it an old discovery or something they've just stumbled across. They want to share that, um, and that will lead us into another, you know, topic that we'll I'm sure we'll get to later on about social media. But um, I think it's that love of sharing uh, something that you love and love of sharing something that you've just found and hope that other people find as much joy in it. Um, I think that's what it all comes down to. 
Yeah, that's you know, I've, um, and that's sort of the way, well, the reason why I work in a record store, because then I mm. don't uh, annoy all my friends' group because I just <laughs> do it for a job, and it's it's expected of me in kind of way to to share uh, that obsessions I have. Anyway, you said that you you know born in the eighties, so you started mm. when you know vinyl was on the downhill for the first time and was fading. The first own purchase of music that you did, that was probably a CD mm. or something. The first purchase of music, yes, it was a CD. It was Daggy, but I still like this album a lot, and it was Michael Jackson's Bad. I don't think it was possible to grow up in the 80s uh, and avoid Michael yeah, Jackson. I definitely. think he was everywhere. MTV, every radio station, every song he did was just huge. Every video he did was even bigger. Um, and so you just couldn't walk past a record store. You know, I think I was, uh, I would have been about eight or nine years old at the time. And the, you know, when Bad came out in 87, 88, I think it was, you know, it was just, you know, I had to buy it. In fact, that wasn't CD, that was cassette. I remember it was a cassette and I, was, I think I've still got it somewhere. It's uh, it's it's the bad album on cassette, which, you know, I still, I still think it's it's a pretty good album. It is. And and I yeah. just remember that probably my first, my first given to me was also on the cassette, mm. which I never thought about, but it's some German hip hop mm. stuff that's, that no one's going to know. <laughs> um, yep. But, but when was the first time that you borrowed a record for your own, a vinyl? Oh, look, I'm just, yeah, it's hard because you, that's a question I get asked quite a bit and you'd think I know the answer just given what I do now on Instagram. But uh, I'd really, I, if I was to, uh, I could tell you one of my first. I can't, I don't know if this was the first, but it was Pass the Peas by the JBs, um, which, again, I don't know if many people know the JBs, but um, the JBs were, um, they were, they were a funk outfit they were James Brown's backing band. Um, they were as tight as any other funk band you've ever heard in your life. And they did a string of albums in the 70s. Um, and, and my favorite of theirs is Past the Peace. And that was probably the very first uh, album or one of the very first albums I ever bought on vinyl. Um, and it's something that still gets a regular spin um, to this day. And if anyone gets the chance to buy it or even just stream it, it's a fantastic album and it really showcases um, James Brown's um, genius. I think, you know, he, he's known as a dancer, he's known as a soul singer, he's, he's known as a, as a funk pioneer, but he was a really good arranger and he was really, he, he really uh, he, he held his band to account. And his band were, and probably still are, regarded as one of the tightest bands out there. Um, and all you got to do is listen to this album to uh, to know what I'm talking about. So yeah, that was probably one of the first vinyl purchases I made. And did that sort of lead instantly to sort of like a love for collecting, or was that just like a one-off purchase and then the collecting started later? Um, no, that 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 kind of started the the you know an avalanche, I guess, or a domino effect of record purchases. Uh, yeah, and and it did start in just given that that was a funk record. That's that that was the primary genre that I did start collecting. So from then, and and I collected more of James Brown stuff and. JB stuff. Then I went into like Parliament Funkadelic, and then I went into Sly and the Family Stone, and so I kind of evolved from there. And so I think funk was and still is one of my favourite genres to listen to, but also to collect. And I think that's where my my love of vinyl started because I think uh, this was the original format that this music was intended to be played on. And 
um, uh, people often say to me, "Why you could easily listen to this album on Spotify or on CD? Why, why vinyl? It costs more and it's clunky, and you got to you know change the signs." But I, I think because of the limitations around at that time, artists made records or made albums for vinyl. So every side and every track flows into one another deliberately. I think going back to Rod Stewart, he did an album. I can't remember the name of it. It escapes me at the moment, but he actually wrote on the back. This side is for this side is the slow side. This and then side B was for the, the, the for dancing. Yeah. Um, and so I think people artists made albums just given the limitations they had. They didn't have the, the the luxury of of Spotify where you could make an album as long as you want. They didn't have the luxury of you know two or three CD sets. It was pretty much you know with the exception of your Stevie Wonders and your you know your Tusks with Fleetwood Mac. It was pretty much one LP. And so you were pretty restricted to seven or eight tracks at four or five minutes each. That is it. And so I think a lot of these artists made music specifically for vinyl. And I think when you listen to someone like Funkadelic or, or Parliament or Sly and the Family Stone, a lot of their stuff, uh, it's, it's curated well for the format. It's curated well for vinyl. So is the, uh, you know, the funk era or the, you know, the height of, of that, is that some, is that a, a music um, decade that you would have loved to experience firsthand and not just on vinyl discovering it later? Yeah, look, yes, yes, it's it's hard because that's another question I get asked quite a bit as well. Um, you know, what, what what era of music would I love to go back to and witness firsthand? Uh, I, I I don't know how to answer that. I think, um, you know, I would love to have been around in the in the 50s and seen the advent of rock and roll. People like Little Richard or Jerry Lee Lewis, um, even Elvis, just, you know, Buddy Holly, all these pioneers of rock and roll just do their thing and, you know, it had such, it sent such waves throughout society with, you know, it was called the devil's music and, you know, the parents wouldn't let their kids listen to it and all that. And it's, you know, by comparison now, it's pretty wholesome music. But at the time, it would have just been such a huge cultural shift in what people were listening to because up until then, people listened to whatever their parents listened to. And then all of a sudden, these artists came out, people with such high energy, like Jerry Lee Lewis and Little Richard, just tearing up the piano and, you know, just doing things that, you know, artists typically didn't do. Then, you know, I think about the 60s counterculture and, you know, I would have loved to have been around during the, you know, the Bob Dylan and Joan Baez yeah. and the Beatles and the Stones. And then, you know, the, the big stadium rock bands like Led Zeppelin and Rolling, you know, again, the, the, the Stones and the Eagles, you know, when I really can't pinpoint a, an era or a decade that I would have uh, loved to have been around to witness firsthand because I think everything up until up until the you know the the end of the uh, the the 20th century just provided something new something fresh and each decade was robust in in, in what they uh, in what they provided so just start pretty young in the 50s and if you if you're in your 20s in the 50s or 18 then you that's maybe an answer <laughs> then you can can experience everything if you're if you're a youngster if you've been a youngster then then everything in your lifespan and you keep like a fresh outlook on 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 music mm. then uh, then all the other decades are in your lifespan oh that's right i'm sure people listening to little richard would have loved nirvana as well <laughs> yeah maybe you know some uh, Bo you bowie know. and nirvana you, know. you know i have a actually my 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 uh, my uh, former boss he's in his mid 50s mm. and he's like the one that that discovers stuff and that still has an ear for new he, i mean he has his mm. favorite stuff but uh, and his favorite bands, and he has like an opinion, of course. But if I 
if I discover, you know, a singer-songwriter or a band mm. who I think who just played a, a cafe in New York and I want to order his seven-inch, I can already see that he has that at home. And I think, how oh, okay. does yeah, he... Yeah, there's always... You know, I mean, I, I don't think it's the norm, but, uh, you know, it's, it's not the norm probably because you some... Yeah, at some point you set, you taste, and you sort of, you know, mm. you nurture from that. But um, I've, I have hope that people that still have an open ear and still sort of, mm. you know... Well, I think every circle of friends has that one guy or one girl yeah. who ha their finger is on the pulse. They've got a good E for good quality stuff regardless of the age and uh, of their age. And I don't think age is, is any indicator of, you know, uh, what type of persuasion of music that you're into. Much like you, I've got a friend who is, I'd say, yeah, 50s, mid-50s, and they, uh, they're my go-to person. Um, with anything new, if I'm ever going to a gig um, that you know is is you know perhaps not a legacy artist, it's more of a new artist. Um, they're in my top five people that I would want to invite because I know they'd appreciate it. Um, so I don't think age in this instance is you know is a significant factor. I think you you either have that knack. Um, to to have a good ear and to appreciate good quality music when you hear it, regardless of uh, when it was released, or you don't. And you know, I'm sure that there are you know narrow-minded 18-year-olds and as an open-minded 50-year-olds. So I, I don't think age is is an indicator at all. Yeah, and and you know, we both are kind of examples for like you know not just being older and looking back, but also being younger and looking back. You know, mm. you are like the 70s yeah. or in the 60s and 50s and the same with me. I mean, mm. you know, but it's, you can really sort of surprise people when you're in your 20s and you're working mm. in a record store. That's my experience. And you, uh, mm. you know, you know stuff about Dylan and you know Clapton and you know Springsteen and all that. It's sometimes quite funny, to mm. be honest. Um mm. But yeah, so so it goes in both ways. Uh, yeah. Um, so you started with uh, funk and you know collecting and that. Do you know how mm. many records you have right now? Uh, roughly. Roughly, uh, there's a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would say, look, uh, I would say between, I'd, I'd say about four and a half to five thousand in total, individual pieces. That is. Yeah. So that's everything from seven inches right through to you know LPs. Um, I'd say there's there's that many. Um, yeah, it's some are at my parents' house, some are at my house upstairs in storage, some are in my collection that you know people see, my followers see on my Instagram. So there's they're scattered throughout the place. But I would say in in total, there's around I'd say four and a half to five thousand pieces. And I've I've seen that you're on post 997 so i'm just relieved kind of that there's still a way to go in in terms of oh, showing, yeah. showing yeah, it's, pieces <laughs> and showing yeah. records that that is yeah there's a lot there's a lot more to go um there's some but but i'm also reluctant to to share some as well if that makes sense i mean there's some that are really personal to me there are some that are really you know i don't think many others would get but then again instagram is a great way for artist discovery so maybe i should share some of these artists maybe i should share some of these more eclectic um bands or artists that 
I know I know are great, and maybe a small portion of the population know are great, but whether it will get much traction on Instagram or whether people will know what I'm talking about, whether that will lead to you know conversion and people streaming or listening to these artists, I don't know. Um, it's something I'm yet to explore, but it's something I definitely am keen to to look at. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a lot more posts to make. And you know, speaking of that snapshot, you know that Snapchat we always get uh, of your that one setup, you know, um, which is quite impressive um, because you did a post about just just your setup, uh, probably because of all the questions you get about it. Um, yeah, is that your dream setup? Is my current setup yeah. my dream setup? Yeah. Uh, No, I mean it's. I love it, yeah. and it's good for me, yeah. and it's it's tailored for me, and from what I want out of a listening space, it ticks all the boxes for me. But it's like, you know, if it's like having a dream car, you would always want something a bit. I don't know. It's it's it's. I don't think you'd ever be satisfied. I'm not. I'm not a huge audiophile. I appreciate good sound and I appreciate the good quality sound and I think that could be achieved if all your components, be it your speakers, your amp, your turntable, your stylus, everything is up to scratch. Um, people often ask me, you know, does CD sound better than vinyl or vice versa? I think vinyl, and again, I'm not an audiophile, so I'm not, I'm not an expert on this topic, but in my opinion, I think there are more variables with vinyl If you have, you could have great speakers and a great turntable and a great amp, but if you have a horrible stylus, it's going to sound horrible. Or if you have horrible speakers and everything else is great, it's going to sound horrible. If everything else is 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 good quality and uh, in good nick, it's uh, I think it lends itself to great quality sound that is superior. That's my personal view. Um, with me, and this is a, a, a conversation I have a lot with a, a lot of my partners who I work with. Um, for me, it's it's yes, it's got to look good. Uh, so it's got to sound good, but it's also got to look good. Um, that's that's a really big prerequisite for me. I think um, there's some really high end, great quality audio equipment out there, be it speakers or turntables, but it doesn't necessarily look good for me it's good to tick those two boxes and again that's what i look for in my listening setup that might be very different to to you or anyone else for that matter so for me it's good to tick those two boxes does it look good does it sound good okay let's let's explore this option so um in a long-winded way is my current setup you know my dream uh setup uh, in some aspects it is because it's it, it fits my needs now but i mean if i had an endless budget and endless space to put things in my house um, I would I would choose other components. Did you ever, in terms of storage for records, did you ever dream up sort of like a just a room that's built like a record store with like? Oh, of course, yeah. I would love like custom shelves that I need a ladder to get to, and you know, just all kinds of crazy stuff. I'd love a room that just had record storage. I mean, Questlove, I think, posted a photo of of his record room a little while ago. That thing is like a library. It's 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 nuts. It's and he's got like fifty thousand pieces of vinyl. Yeah. Um, you know, something like that is like every vinyl head's dream to have something like that. Um, I live in Sydney. Um, I live in inner Sydney. So for me, you know, that the houses that we live in here in inner Sydney, they're not that big unless you're, you know, a multi multi millionaire, um, which I'm not. Um, so it's you know, I'm pretty restricted with space in our house. So. Um, it's a Victorian era terrace, so I, I don't really have too much space to play with. Um, but you know, maybe the next house I might be able to have some dedicated space, um, a bit a bit bigger and a bit grander than what I currently have. 
So it's IKEA for now, unfortunately. It's IKEA for now, unfortunately. But you know what? Those Calat they're stores, great. They're iconic. Yeah, they're iconic. I think everyone's got them, or you know, a lot of people either start with them and then move on. You know, I've got a lot of friends who actually work in the furniture business, and they're like, "Let me make something custom for you," and I would love that. But again, it comes down to space. It's like, all right, here's here are my limitations. And if they were able to give me something um, that provided me with more space, I'd, I'd be open to it. But the reality is I, the options available through something custom in my current setup are pretty restrictive. And so that's why I think Calax, you know, it's, it's you know, <laughs> from a craftsmanship perspective or whatever, you know, I, I know that there's a lot of people looking down on IKEA, but I think Calax plays such an important role in, in a lot of vital collectors' lives um, because it does tick the box, it fits perfectly, and it's at a price point which most people can afford. So um, I'm still clinging on to it. Um, my wife doesn't like it. She'd like me to upgrade to something a bit more, you know, a bit more aesthetically yeah. pleasing. But for now, it's 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 it, it, it does its job. And so until further notice, I'm, I'm sticking with the Calax. Talking about limited space, but that still mm. doesn't hold any collector from adding to the collection. Um, oh, of course. What you what people see in my my Instagram is maybe a tenth, or maybe a fifteenth of what I have. Everything else is you know either in storage at my parents' house, as I said before, or in another cupboard upstairs. Um, yeah. So there's and I often rotate things. So things leave my parents' house, come here, and then they get replaced in those shelves. If you look closely, those shelves are pretty jam packed. Um, <laughs> there's really not much room for them to to move. So they're, they're in pretty tight. And if you if you you know if you buy a new record, do you do you have like a a space that's you know a favorite record store, a favorite spot in Sydney where you go to? Is there like a yeah? Look, Sydney. Look, considering Sydney is, you know, it's it's not London, it's not New York. Uh, it, it's got some pretty good record stores. My favorite record store in Sydney is Red Eye uh, Red Eye Records. Um, it's probably, uh, to my knowledge, it's Sydney's oldest record store. It's been going continuously now for. Uh, Look, I think it's around 20 or 25 years. Um, and it's moved premises a few times, but it, it's brand it's, it has stayed around for that time and it's always served the vinyl community for that time. It, it's pretty eclectic in, in what it carries. Um, it's got a good combination of both um, new and secondhand uh, records. And it's for, for a lot of Australian uh, record collectors, there's a big Australian contingent of artists that are available there. Same with New Zealand artists as well, um, right through to, you know, more obscure things, you know, in, in, in different in different genres like jazz or reggae. Um, I really like Red Eye Records. Um, there's a few others as well. There's Egg Records in Newtown, which specialise in, in secondhand. Um, there's the, there's the, the Vintage Record in Annandale, which is a suburb in Sydney as well. Um, they, they, they professionally clean every bit of secondhand vinyl that gets put on the shelf. So it's really high quality. They really give a damn, um, which is good. And it's it's one of my favorite places to spend a, a Sunday afternoon. And Phil, the guy who runs it, is a really nice guy. And he's, his knowledge of music is is superior. And he's he's often a go-to guy in the vinyl community for any type of you know li limited edition release. Or if you're trying to find something, he'll help you find it. Um, he'll recommend other artists. It's kind of like um, and he's he's like the human algorithm. Like if you go there and show him something that you want to buy, he'll go, "Oh, great! You'd also like this, this, and this." And then you kind of give it a spin in store, and more often than not, you'd like it. And then you take it home, and that's your new favorite band. So, um, yeah, there's a good community of uh, of uh, record stores here in Sydney. 
Speaking of record stores, I've read mm-hmm. that you've been supporting ambassador for Record Store Day. What's your responsibility and is it purely promotional or do you get some perks? Do you get like get a list and you just tick some boxes and they send it to you or mm. is that some Oh, yeah, it's it's a bit of both. Look, okay. yeah, uh, as an ambassador of Record Store Day. It sounds exciting. That's that's, you know, It does. Uh, it does and I was really wrapped because I was involved, sorry, uh, as a customer and before I even started Instagram or anything like that, I I as a consumer got involved with Record Store Day. I'd be lining up on in front of the stores and I'd be, you know, having a wish list before I went into the stores as to what I'd want to get or what I'd hope to get that day. So it was very – Record Store Day was something that was always very close to my heart and something that um, was was very important to me. And so when they reached out to me um, to be an ambassador um, – ultimately you know it, it it was i was pretty chuffed i was pretty excited because it's like hey hang on like it's not as though i hadn't heard for, of them obviously i was a big fan of what they did um and so ultimately as an ambassador i played a, a small role um or i'd like to think i played a small role in encouraging people ultimately to go into their local record store to to, to support bricks and mortar record stores and i think it's now in its 12th year um record store day and it, it was uh, created to um, support those bricks and mortar record stores at a time when, and we're going back 12 years ago, when piracy was rife, when people, you know, w- w- when the physical music format was was almost gone. Um, and so that's when it was uh, created 12 years ago. And so since then, it's it's grown in momentum, it's grown in followership, and more and more people are getting into it. And ultimately, my job as an ambassador, and there's a whole other bunch of ambassadors who do a fantastic job, uh, is to get people excited about buying physical music and buying records in particular and supporting their local bricks and mortar stores. And I know just in the conversations I've had, the benefits that these um, that a lot of record store owners get by getting an influx of people into their stores specifically not to get record store day exclusive releases but you know people might go in there and get you know one or two releases that are exclusive to record store day but but more often than not they'll buy another three or four pieces of just general merchandise that they have in the store so it's it's a win-win for the consumer and it's a win-win for the record stores and so you know look for me every day is record store day but it's it's really good to it's really good to uh to encourage people to not forget about their their local record stores and go in and you know sydney does a really good job of it there's actually a tour um you could do in sydney and i'm sure a lot of the other cities around the world do it as well where you start at one record store on one side of the city and you make your way you know from one record store to another um which is great so yeah, ultimately, my my job um, as an ambassador was to, you know, and still is to conduct a lot of interviews on radio stations or um, it, with a lot of magazines in, you know, in music or in vinyl uh, that specialise in music and vinyl rather, and uh, to encourage people to get into record stores. And yes, there are perks involved. Um, it's an unpaid position. I, I don't get paid for it. I don't want to get paid for it. Um, but you know, I think one of the big perks is because a lot of these hot ticket items are really hard to get your hands on and that's something i experienced as a consumer um where i've been you know let down i'm like oh no i wanted to you know i was saving up or lining up to to get this particular release and it went 
And so a perk is I do get an advanced look in and whatever is available, I don't get everything I wish for, but whatever is available, I do typically get my hands on um, before because I need to post about it. Um, and if I post about it on the day, that allows me time to, to photograph it and and, uh, and, and create a bit, uh, a bit of uh, a narrative around what, I, uh, what, what record store day exclusives I did uh, get my hands on. And you know, and that, like I said, it sounds exciting. It's great for the CV that you know you had an ambassador uh, position in any kind of way. But you know, it, mm. you're absolutely right. You know, I never thought I'd be an ambassador. Yes, I thought that's, you know, see, that's... <laughs> of anything. <laughs> so, so yeah. But again, look, it's 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 all for a good cause. Yeah, of course. It's you know, they're a not-for-profit organization, and something that I'm passionate about is keeping record stores in business. And if I could just help out in some small way, if I could encourage just one person that wouldn't otherwise have gone into a record store to go into one and, and, and make a purchase, then my job is done. Yeah, and, and you know, I've seen from the experience of, you know, being on the record store side that, that there is definitely, mm. you know, long levity in it because people come to to the store maybe for the first time on record store day and mm. say, oh, they're quite, yeah. you know, they're nice. I like... I like the vibe. I like, you know, I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to visit more. Uh, it's the first time mm. that they visit a record store because maybe it's, you know, a, a release from like a pop artist or a smaller artist. And that's the first mm. time they get into a, a store, you know, just like what the premise is. Oh, absolutely. Or it's the first time in a store in a long time. Like, yeah. you know, when you well, often when I'm lining up, even now, I still line up. Because there's stuff that I don't get my hands on, and I, I, I take a punt like everyone else. And there's always someone who loves the Grateful Dead. There's always a Grateful Dead release, yeah, and someone who's been a deadhead for twenty, thirty years, and you know, hoping to get their hands on a particular release and whatnot. And, that, and they'll tell me this is the first time I've been into a record store in fifteen, twenty years. Just that alone just shows the power of Record Store Day. The fact that there is an appetite in market for good quality. Uh, artists and good quality uh, recordings that are limited that you know hopefully would see the the light of day as a, as a regular release from the record labels but you know what if, if it's a way to get people involved in a way to get people excited about music again and physical music again then i'm all for it and i think everyone is so yeah yeah and that's you know has been definitely a lifesaver and just the um the amount of you know records you you sell on that day is also mm. can be a lifesaver through the year if there mm. are rough patches and stuff um apart maybe from Questlove's collection um <laughs> is there any place internationally would you like to dig maybe not private collections but like you know places you've mm. been or places you would like to go you know record stores uh, cities look, i Yeah, Amoeba in, in Hollywood, yeah. I think, is or San Francisco. That that's just like a mecca. Um, I've been, I've picked up, but again, it's it's hard coming back to Australia where I'm based, uh, with weight restrictions and everything else. And it's just like, okay, I need to be really selective here. And to be honest, I could last time I was in um uh, in at the Amoeba store in Hollywood, I uh, it was my honeymoon actually. And so I had to be pretty selective with my time. I promised I'd be, you know, maybe an hour, hour and a half. I didn't want to take too much time out of the honeymoon to <laughs> to focus on myself and focus on record collecting. But, you know, I was only able to pick up a few pieces of vinyl um, there and be really selective about it. So um, I'd love to go back. And I think it's a kind of place that you need a whole day. You just need to be in there. You need to be enthralled in it. You need to be um, just really uh, involved in every single aisle, in every single category, and just go through it because you never know what you're going to find. 
in a place like that. Um, there's also in London a, a good record scene as well, Fonica Records, um, which again I've, I've visited once or twice. Um, again, it's the weight restricted thing for me. Um, I'm already, my bag's already full of all the other shopping we've done, so to squeeze in some vinyl, um, you know, it's, I'm limited to maybe you know four or five pieces at most, just due to our weight restrictions, um, which is the main thing holding me back. I have bought things. Um, when I was in New York as well, which I posted back, but just the cost to do that <laughs> separately from my own luggage is just ridiculous. And so, I, again, I need to be really selective um, with what I purchase overseas to bring back home. But, you know, but there isn't really, uh, uh, you know, a bucket list anymore. So, you've, you've had the wonderful um, opportunities to sort of do like the dream. Amoeba for me is still one of my bucket list that definitely I had, mm. I had you know, a chance to stick around in New York and London and mm. like Europe a little bit, but Amoeba is still, mm. still up there. Um, yeah, I think that's a mecca for a lot of oh, people because yeah. they've also got a really good social presence as well. So if anyone not is not following Amoeba on Instagram, give them a follow because just the, I love the aerial shots that they take of their stores. They've got everything. They've got artist signings there. They've got artists playing there. Um, and it's just, it's an institution. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a must for any person looking to, you know, if you're in LA, uh, if you're in San Francisco, it's definitely worth checking out. And it's also, they have a lovely uh, series on YouTube. I don't know if they still do it, but the, the what's in my back uh, show where yeah. like, you know, celebrities or, or, you know, musicians and actors sort of like, you know, show mm. what they would buy. And you, you sometimes, you you know, you change your opinions about actors mm. and because you think, oh, that Elijah Wood has a really great music taste and that's really interesting. I know, isn't it? Doing. It's funny. It's funny when you, yeah, when you see someone like, it. look, when I hear, and again, I'll, I'll go back to Questlove, when I hear that he is okay with a particular artist, that means it's kind of okay for me to listen to that artist. If, 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 if the endorsement comes from him, I know that, you know, what he, he knows his music. He's got a good ear. Um, and, and it's it's a very diverse ear as well. It's, it's, it's so many genres all rolled into one. But I know that if I hear him or see him posting about a particular artist or a particular band or a particular song, then I know just from that post alone it's worth me checking out. Because if it's got his endorsement, it's a really strong endorsement in my opinion. And I think everyone's got that, that that person that they would reach out to or that person that they would look up to from a musical perspective and think, okay, if, if he's cool with it, I'm cool with it. Getting on a topic that's also fading, like, you know, my teenage years, you know, there was a music mm. magazine where you would, you know, there was like a Bible that you would read and mm. you would go and listen and you make some, you know, I would make a list and go to the next which wasn't a record store which was just more like a jb hyphy uh you know electronical store uh cd section like um but that's that's sort of like a guide i think you need and you know before you sort of mm. develop and taste a taste and an opinion you just need some some people that show you some directions well that's right i mean i to get off slightly off topic back to what you said about magazines yeah. i and to be honest i'm not an avid reader of Rolling Stone anymore, but I was. And I remember about, I don't know, 15 years ago maybe, maybe a bit more, I read a really interesting article about this little-known producer called Kanye West. And, I, and I'm like, okay, all right, let, let me, you know, and he, I heard that he was behind a lot of tracks by everyone from Janet Jackson to Mariah Carey. And, you know, he, he, he played a big role behind the scenes and he was releasing his debut album, A College Dropout. And I'm going back. 
15, maybe 16 years ago now. I can't even remember when he released the album, to be honest. And he was releasing it. Um, it, it talked about his, his great E. It talked about how, you know, everything was immaculately produced um, and whatnot. And that's when I first got into Kanye because I, I read about him. I read about his influence and his impact on other artists that were iconic. Um, and I thought, okay, I, I should just listen to listen to his album. So I went out and bought his album. It was on CD. I went and bought it, and I was hooked from, you know, say what you will about Kanye, but from a production standpoint, I think he's got an amazing ear and uh, just the caliber of, of his craftsmanship in producing an album like The College Dropout, which he released all those years ago. I've been hooked on him ever since. Um, you know, apart from his personal, you know, views and you know the way he carries on sometimes, uh, just judging him on his music, which is how I typically judge musicians and artists, um, he, he's definitely up there for me for, from from a contemporary standpoint. Um, and so you know, I, I learned about him from reading an article. It was it wasn't even a big article at the time because he he didn't warrant a big article. I think it was like a column um, <laughs> on Kanye about who this guy was, what he'd done in the past, and that he was releasing his album. And just from that one column, that would have been maybe you know three hundred, four hundred words. That got me involved in, in him, and I've been on the Kanye bandwagon ever since. So you know, the, I think there's always been be it magazines or influencers or people that shine a light on new artists and, and, and artist discovery for people to, to latch on to. Yeah, and that's so strange how, like, you know, 300 words can sort of give you sort of like a, a soundtrack to your life, you know, or someone you, mm. you're always going back to, um, mm. like, you know, the magic of music. But if you yeah. want to do, you know, a bit of corny, but it is that. And mm. for a lot of people that sort of, you know, to make sense of, of situations or to to get away from situations or thinking or so. Um, and it's really interesting mm. how you can, um, you know, it's, it's like a spark that sort of sets a fire, um, mm. basically. It's especially for me, and I think because I'm, I'm a, um, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, you know, my, and my music tastes are pretty eclectic, but I'm a huge fan of Janet Jackson, especially, you know, her first, you know, four or five albums from Control. Um, which was, I think, you know, 86. And she did two albums before that, which there's no need to mention those because they, were, they, were, they weren't that good. Yeah. But Controls, when it really started with Janet and her, her following, she had a really great string of albums. And they were all number one albums. They, they, they sold through the roof. And I think she holds the record for the most, for, for, from a, a female singer to have, you know, the most consecutive number one albums. And so she did a string of, of, of albums that which were really influential. They were, you know, the, the, their impact in pop culture was huge. Everything, you know, there was the Rhythm Nation album, then there was Janet and the Velvet Rope and All For You. And then when she released, I think, To Me To Joe, um, Kanye was involved in a track there. Um, and that's, and I heard that track. I'm like, this is a really cool track. And I think it was around that time that I heard um, or read the review in Rolling Stone. And that's where I put the two and two together. Where I'm like, okay, so if he's worked with Janet and he did that song, that's the guy I heard on that song. Let me explore this guy now, and I think that's where um, that's where my uh, my fandom of Kanye came from. Again, I'm not a huge fan of him, but I'm a I'm a pre, I'm, I'm an appreciator of him, and I really think um, the caliber and the quality of his work is really superior. And you know, getting back to that um, sort of magic, is there was there always? I mean, and music has that power, really. Is there always, was there sort of a an artist that that literally changed you? And your idea of music? Um, for me, and again, it's something my followers on Instagram probably hear too much of. For me, it's Prince. 
there is no artist and there has been no artist and there probably be, will never be another artist like Prince. Um, he and uh, I don't even know where to start because he, in addition to being my favourite artist of all time, he's an artist that when he when he passed away a few years ago, when you just saw the music community's uh, response to his sudden death from anyone from Bruce Springsteen to, you know, uh, everyone, everyone, Chris Stapleton, um, Jennifer Hudson, the entire music community across every genre came together and, and, and said, okay, we, we've lost one of the greats. And, you know, this to me was – a huge a huge loss to the music community because he was just so damn talented um just from a, a, a musician standpoint like that guy played you know you pick up any prince album and you know it, it, it says on the back produced arranged performed um uh, you know by prince uh, he did everything he, he was he was a genius and he was from the from the onset um, and I don't think too many people, and I think more and more people are learning that about him. And I think once other artists like Springsteen uh, came out and said, you know what, this guy's this guy's amazing. Eric Clapton played a tribute to him. Like you know, that that doesn't happen often, where you get people from different groups and different genres coming together to to, to honor someone. That that just shows you how impactful this guy was. Um, and from a personal standpoint, I remember. In, I'm going back to the mid-90s now. Prince did a compilation called The Hits, The B-Sides, and this is where I first got onto him. And, yeah, I was a fan of a few things he had done, like, you know, When Doves Cry and Purple Rain. And, you know, at the time, I think Diamonds and Pearls was big. And so, you know, I was aware of him and I was aware that, okay, he, he was he was he was pretty big. And then I bought The Hits, The B-Sides, which was a three-CD set, and the first two CDs were hits. So they're all his number ones. They're all the songs that everyone knew of Prince, which was great. And then The B-Sides was just that. It was his B-Sides from those tracks that were in the, in the first couple of discs. And I just remember listening to those B-Sides, and I, at the time I would have been, you know, in my teens, and I was listening to these B-Sides thinking – if this is the quality of his B-sides, <laughs> what is the quality of, of, of his, his, his other work? And so that's what put me on a journey into discovering Prince, into, into exploring him and his entire discography uh, that I'm still on today. I'm still learning things about him. I'm still learning about associated artists, artists that he worked with, everyone from Sheila E., um, Sheena Easton, The Time, Sinead O'Connor. Um, the, the, the list goes on and on. And the, the guy was just, you know, a genius, and I, and I got hooked on him very early on, um, and that's when I think my love of, <laughs> for a variety of reasons, that's when my love of I think Michael Jackson uh, waned, and then I just I've, I've been on a Prince journey ever since. Just been hearing that B sides disc and thinking, okay, th this is the quality of work that he put on his B sides. What about the rest of his albums? And that made me go back, and I think at the time of his death, he had thirty nine or forty studio albums that he did. Um, you know, there's just endless work there for, for, for people, be it, you know, long-term Prince veteran fans right through to new fans who are, who are just discovering him now. There's, there's so much work. There's an enormous body of work to discover um, with Prince. And so um, to answer your question in a very long-winded way, uh, if, if there's one artist that really changed the way I, I think about music and changed the way I listen to music, it's, it's definitely Prince. And I, and I think it's also... I think where the the immense reaction from the music world or just from people, you know, comes from mm. Prince, it's just that mm. probably that person 
that it still had a hunger for music and the passion for music mm. had all different shapes and forms, you know, um, and be oh, it for, yeah, for, he, for other artists, like, you know, nothing compares to you, everybody knows that, but, um, and I, I remember a story of like, and I, d I hope it's it's right that it was the Brittany Howard from Alabama Shakes that she played, mm. they played in a festival and he invited them for tea and mm -hmm. sandwiches just to talk about music. You know, and if you yeah. have that, you can feel that and hear that in everything he does or did. But mm. I think that passion... And he wasn't music. one for accolades either. Like yeah. he went through a stage, as everyone knows, when he changed his name to the unpronounceable symbol. Yeah. He went through a stage of releasing music just purely for the sake of releasing music. He didn't care about number ones. He didn't care about money. He was the musician's musician, and that's 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 how he'll be remembered amongst the music community. And I think that com combined with the battle that he had with his record label to gain ownership of his music, to gain ownership of his masters, um, that's something that all musicians, regardless of the genre, you could be a heavy metal artist or a hip-hop artist and, and admire that. Um, people, he, he was respected. And we, just go to YouTube and look up just any award ceremony where Prince was involved in, be it him performing or presenting an award, he would be greeted with... Uh, Huge applause, standing ovation from everyone, from Green Day right through to Alicia Keys, right through to Tony Bennett, because everyone respected him and everyone knew what he was about. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he had fans and, and admirers from, from across the music spectrum, not just with fans, with, with music lovers, but also with musicians as well. And that's something that, that is very rare and very hard to come by. Um, and you know, to this day, I, he's someone that I still spin regularly. Um, there's a lot of podcasts out there that talk about him and his genius and his influence and his impact that I listen to regularly. And, um, uh, you know, but I'll never stop exploring his music because there is so much out there to explore. Um, you know, where's, uh, when, you know, Michael Jackson was a fantastic artist, as everyone knows, but when he passed away, ultimately he had what, five or six albums for his fans to sit there and marvel over. When Prince passed away, I mean, there, there was 40, 40 released albums, let alone all the bootleg stuff, let alone all the stuff that's in his vault, let alone all the live recordings that aren't released. There is just so much work for fans to marvel over, and not just Prince fans, but music fans. Um, I, I'm often that annoying person at a party or <laughs> who gets out my phone and shows people some live performance of Prince, you know, and, and you know, in, in the hope that I'll somehow convert them into fans. Sometimes it works, sometimes it's like, all right, Calm down. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't work, but you know, I'm just you know, we, every, I think everyone's got a favorite artist, and 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 for me, it's Prince. And you know, if I could convert as many people into appreciating him the way I do, or even half the way I do, I'll I'll, I'll be happy. And um, I I think you've you know added about twelve right now. <laughs> people listening, that there there must be some people who are just sort of switched to Spotify and just churched. <laughs> the b-side collection and going okay what's he talking oh, about just, um, yeah seriously go through that b-side collection like erotic city which is a song that i think a lot of people know that is a b-side why would you put that on a b-side that is a hit right there it does not need to be a b-side she's always in my hair another amazing song uh you know the girl another amazing song uh how come you don't call me anymore which was made famous by alicia keys another amazing song these songs need to be front row center but that just goes back to my point that he, he was the musician's musician. He didn't care too much, especially, you know, once he did Purple Rain, he didn't really care too much about, you know, accolades and awards and all things like that. He just wanted to get his music out and, and you know, 
which leads to another tangent of he had so many associated artists that he wrote songs for and he produced songs for um, that, you know, he didn't want to keep for himself. And he thought, no, this is this is going to be great for Sheila E., like The Glamorous Life, uh, which is an amazing song with an amazing hook, which, you know, I think he would have done a great uh, version of had it been released as a, as a single, but he gave it to her. So he, he was quite clever in the things that he kept for himself and gave to other people as well. And I have a feeling that Prince was someone who says, I'm going to put that on a B-side and see who really digs and who really appreciates yeah. it and, and give that to them. 100%. 100%. And thankfully, there was an album that came out earlier this year called Originals, um, which got a lot of PR, got a lot of press. And it was an album, I, I can't remember the amount of tracks on there, about you know, 14 or 15 tracks that were songs which Prince gave to other artists, but these are the Prince versions, which he used as either guide vocals or, you know, uh, you know, like Manic Monday for the Bangles, which I love that song. It's a great kind of corny uh, 80s pop song. And who would have thought that that is a Prince song, you know, if you first Exactly, exactly. And so track three of originals is Prince singing Manic Monday. And then, you know, uh, you know there's a funk band, Time, or The Time, rather, from Minneapolis, who featured quite heavily in uh, Purple Rain in the film. Um, you know, th there's there's a couple of songs by, by those guys on here, like Gigolos Get Lonely 2 and Jungle Love. And, you know, there's so many songs that he gave to, like Kenny Rogers. People, as, as eclectic as Kenny Rogers, he gave him a song. Not He didn't write it for him. He said, you know what, I'm writing this. It's in my head right now. I'm producing it, but it's not for me. This is for Kenny. And so, you know, that, that, that's just what went, what, what went through his head as, as an arranger, as a producer, as a songwriter. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, there's, there's, you know, so again, that's another album. If people want to check out Prince and just how, you know, the genius he was again, that, 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 that album also has his version of nothing compares to you by Sinead O'Connor, which is the original version before he gave, gave it to another band, the family. Um, it was actually given to Sinead after that. So again, it's, it's definitely worth checking that out as well. And, you know, talking about other releases this year, has there been mm -hmm. other highlights this year for you? Some some albums that have been released 2019, where at the end of the year, when we're recording this, yeah. uh, lists are pouring in from everywhere of like best albums of the year stuff. Has there been some highlights? Maybe even a concert or something? Yeah, um, just trying to think. Uh, I'm a huge, I love hip hop, and Lauren Hill came out this year to Australia. It's hard being in Sydney because we don't get the types of artists or the uh, the frequency of artists coming out here. Uh, because we're so far away. So, you know, I'm sure if I was European or American, I'd be able to, you know, tell you a lot more. <laughs> But we don't get too many out here, unfortunately. Uh, so there's, you know, I saw Lauren Hill this year. She was fantastic. Um, and I, you know, she was commemorating the 20th anniversary of of her uh, debut and to this day only record, album yeah. she's released, studio album, that's right. So The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. So she came and played it, I, I won't say track for track, But she played all the tracks on there, but not in the not in the same sequence as it appears on the album. And she was great. And if not just for the nostalgia aspect alone, it was she was great. Her voice, she she was a bit fluey, so she was a bit sick. Um, but she's kind of got the voice. She's kind of got that husky voice that kind of she you don't really notice anyway. So she um, she performed it really well, and you know the, the the reviews were mixed, but I personally loved it, and it was a great show just from a nostalgia perspective because I grew up with that album. And it's it's great to have an an artist play that record that you loved because mostly you know it's mm. it's seven records later and they're just playing the singles or something. So it's I like these I, know. I like these from top to finish uh, 
uh, Adam yeah. Evans, even, even if, you know, the voices may be not even specifically to Lauren Hill, but, you know, p mm. because people do it at the end of a career or later in a career. But I still love that yeah. to hear the songs you really like that never really got. To yeah, it was good. It was one of those concerts and they're, they're kind of hard to come by where, you know, every song, yeah. it, you know, it's, it's. It, 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 and you know, even when I, I saw the Rolling Stones a few years ago when they toured Australia, and you know, you knew every song, and then about halfway through, Mick announced that they're going to play a new song, and that's when everyone just went to the toilet yeah. <laughs> because yeah. it's like, all right, yeah, we don't want to hear that. So you know, this this Lauren Hill gig, um, and a lot of you know, there's a handful of other gigs I've been to where you just know every track um, that they're playing, and that to me is is a is a beautiful concert when you know every track they're playing or ninety percent of the tracks that they're playing, you know, because that's what you pay your money for ultimately. But that said, I also understand that artists need outlets and they, you know, they're, they're constantly evolving. They're constantly releasing new music as well. So I, I, I also appreciate that aspect as well, that an artist, regardless of how old they are, regardless of how long they've been in the game for, need to need an outlet to, to uh, play new music or different types of music. So I get that argument as well. And any any albums, any any artists you discovered, any any recommendation? Rec Solange, she 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 had a, she oh, had yeah, a nice record, record at yeah. the beginning. Yeah, she had a good record. Um, there's there's an Australian artist called Angus Stone um, who goes by the alias sometimes of Dope Lemon. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Really, Hold on. <laughs> you know Angus and Julia. Yeah, Stone? yeah, of course. And I have his first solo yeah. record which he released under his own name. So. Um, so okay, I'm gonna write that down right now. Dope Lemon, okay. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, Dope Lemon. So that's him. So he's released two albums. Um, really cool. Very different to the Angus Stone stuff he's done, which is his his I think his his core stuff because that's his name. Um, Dope Lemon's more an alias or kind of his outlet to do more experimental things. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's been another highlight. I think his latest. Oh, His first one he did about two years ago, and that was great. His new one this year was called Smooth by, I think it's Smooth by Cat, if that, if that rings a bell. Um, but that's a really that only came out a few few months ago. And the vinyl, and I don't know, I can't recall if this is all versions of the vinyl or just the deluxe version of the vinyl. It's 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 painted beautifully. It's not a normal coloured vinyl. It's really intricate. That's done around on, on Instagram as well. So um, definitely. Um, encourage people to check that out dope lemon um speaking of packaging you know um you mm -hmm. said that in, in other interviews that i read um that it's something and that is a perk of like you know that a vinyl mm. will always have over you know, obviously a stream but even a cd or something any f really favorites packing watch i mean they're even the record itself you know like i'm thinking always about jack white when i'm talking about it like with label grooves mm. and all the the absolutely interesting stuff he does um but is there like a, a box set or uh, even just a normal release that sort of springs to mind if you think about um beautiful packaging like that dope lemon uh you just yeah mentioned. dope lemon's got good packaging and you know the vinyl itself is really intricate and really beautifully painted um again i hate to bring up prince again <laughs> no, no, no. but he um there was the um Uh, 1999 just celebrated uh, an anniversary and the, the, the super deluxe edition just came out and this thing is insane. It's just such a beautiful box set. I mean, you work in a record store. I'm sure you've seen it. Yeah. Um, it is it is stunning. So, yeah, that, that that's really beautifully packaged. And again, the, the, the content that, it, that that features within that box set 
um, is 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 amazing. There's so many vault tracks. There's stuff that fans, especially hardcore fans like myself, haven't heard high quality versions of before. So you know that that that's something that's really stood out to me packaging wise this year. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think. I don't know if there's been two. I'm sure there has been, but to my knowledge, just things that really stand out from a packaging perspective. Um, it's really hard to think of any off the top of my head, to be honest. And um, I've I've seen on your feed the Childish Gambino uh, box set. Oh, yeah, that's the yeah. VR uh, experience, basically. Yeah. And I've I've loved when people when cool. people put you know um, give these Easter eggs. No, it is, but no, that Childish Gambino that, that 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 album. Just talking about that album is just that's 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 probably been apart from the box set, apart from the packaging and the virtual reality headset that comes with it, and everything else. That album is probably my top ten in the last ten years. I think it's an outstanding album, and I wrote about that on my feed. Um, and it's something I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll speak about that till I run out of breath. I just think it's an outstanding album, especially, you know, for a contemporary artist like him to, to release something that just sounds so robust, something that sounds so deep, um, something that sounds so historic. I mean, you could see where his influences were, and it goes back to, you know, some of my favorite artists, like I said before, like George Clinton and Funkadelic and Parliament. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, influence from those guys in here. It's very psychedelic, um, which I love. And I really think he's he's a very progressive artist that's just, you know, going from strength to strength. Yeah, and especially the jump from the, you know, the record before that, that wasn't as musical, diverse, you know, mm. as Then Awaken My Love was. And then... Yeah. Was it because of the internet? Yeah, yeah. That was that his... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a good album. It is, it is. It's a good no, album. No, yeah. But no one in their right mind was expecting exactly. that he'd go from that, which was a pure kind of hip hop rap album to something like Awaken My Love. Like that was just nuts. And even after that, that, you know, this is America, which is, you know, so oh, interesting yeah. because it felt like that the world stopped for a moment and everybody watched that video and everyone watched it. It was timely. It was topical. It was poignant. It just, it, it, it was, yeah. And, and the video, it was just nuts. And it's a whole body of work, you know, because I think that, that, that song as great as it is, it doesn't work necessarily without the video. Um, no. So it's a complete body of work. And that's something really interesting that, no one really does anymore. You know, of course, there's hype when a video is released of like a artist or a pop artist, but not with that. You know, not when you talked about, you know, Michael Jackson before. It, it, it was that sort of thriller mm -hmm. moment in a different way, in a different, uh, because it was political and it was, you know, came at a time. But that it felt like the same to me in a way that really everybody stopped and looked around and said, people said, who is that? Or what is that? And, And what it meant in that in that time frame. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, that video, especially, it's it's quite refreshing to see that in this day and age. Obviously, MTV's years, you know, their best years are behind them. As for, for, from a, a video perspective, you know, obviously, if you want to watch reality television and whatnot, it's still got its um, it still has its place. But f as far as it being the groundbreaking channel or, or, or platform to view these types of videos on i think it's 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 best days are behind them with artists like you know that invented the the genre like prince and michael jackson and madonna and janet jackson and whatnot but it's it's quite refreshing to see occasionally and i think beyonce does great videos obviously you know uh, donald glover did an amazing one for this is america and kanye does good videos and so um you know it's it's good to see the format the video format still being as as relevant today 
as it's ever been. Because as you said, I think you made a really good point. The, the, the song, This Is America, doesn't make as much sense if you don't see the corresponding video. If we hadn't seen the video, it wouldn't have made anywhere near the amount of impact um, as it did make. And, uh, you know, let's uh, go to Instagram and my point of view in a way that um, <laughs> were there other people? I didn't, but thank yeah. you. Keep going. This, <laughs> okay. is, this is good. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't invent it, no. So there were other people showing their records before you. you yeah. started, you've, you've been yeah. inspired by others. Uh, let's get back to that point of when, why did you decide to show or share your, your record mm. collection on, on, on a platform like Instagram? Um. To be honest, it was it, it was <laughs> it, it was I didn't start my. It sounds really weird, so bear with me. Yeah. I did not start my Instagram. My wife actually started it by making it a bit of a joke, and she would just get. She started a, a, an Instagram account with my name, Steve Cooter, and she would take photos of you know, vegetables in the fridge and say things like, you know, uh, you know, going to eat healthy. I need a, I need a good summer body. Or okay. then she'd take a photo of, you know, just taking, uh, there's an Australian term called taking the piss, yeah, which I don't know. Yeah. Do, you, do you know yeah, what that yeah, means? Yeah, of course. yeah. Just taking the piss out of like, you know, hipsters and, you know, like she'd take a picture of a craft beer that I had and go, yeah, you know, or, or a cold drip coffee and kind of just take the piss out of that type of subgenre. And then that, she took a photo fired. of my record. It, it kind of it gained some traction amongst my friends. I'd, I'd run into friends out, like, oh, I see you're getting into your cold drip coffee. I'm like, what are you talking about? What are you? And, and then, you know, because I didn't know that Hannah, my wife, would be doing all this stuff. Um, and then one day she posted a photo of my record collection. Um, again, corresponding with that same kind of tone that she had um, started with the cold drip coffee and the vegetables in the fridge and all this stuff. And then it actually gained some traction amongst you know, she did, you know, a few vinyl hashtags and a few other relevant hashtags as well. And they actually gained, you know, three or four times the amount of traction as the coffee and the, you know, the the healthy food in the fridge and, you know, all that kind of stuff and the, you know, the craft beer. And so we both collectively came up with the idea of, and she's a photographer, and she said, okay, how about if, because there was, I was following a number of vinyl um, enthusiasts at the time. And it was actually her idea to, to to photograph my collection. At the time, it was, you know, still a pretty substantial size. And it was her idea to say, okay, you know what, let's just delete everything else we've done. So those, you know, and there was only four or five joke posts that she put up as a joke. And she said, let's start from scratch. Let's let's take some good quality photos of your collection. Um, you know a thing or two about the albums that you listen to. How about you write some reviews, write your opinions on them, ask other people their opinion on them because, you know, the, I think that's one thing I love about Instagram. It's that, you know, shareability and asking people their opinions um, and, and we'll just run with it. We'll go from there. And it started off just like that, very organically. And then so, yeah, she just started taking some photos of, of some, I think my first proper post, and people could dig their way back, was Bob Dylan. Um, one of his more recent albums, I think it was Time Out of Mind, which is a great album, by the way. And she, and that was the first one I did, and that kind of started the current incarnation of my Instagram feed. So that's where things started from. So it wasn't your idea at all, actually. <laughs> well, no, not really. I mean, I again, I, I, I've got all the records, I've got the setup, I've got everything ready to go. But no, she's she was the initial brains behind it. Yes. And, and to this day, and to this day, she still shoots um, the vast majority of my content as well. 
So I, 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 I'm in, you know, a debt of gratitude to her. Uh, don't worry, she, you know, she makes me do housework and whatnot to, uh, <laughs> to make up for it. So I, you know, <laughs> she, 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 she wins out of this as well. You know that experience of the, that you told. That's my. That's why because I'm doing it as well. You know, it's it's that finding a space of uh, like-minded people um, and just sharing a passion. And you know, you you kind of you stop annoying your friends a lot. And it's so wonderful because it's so international. And you you know that's like the positive side of the internet and social media. Oh, that's right. There's no, especially with something like music, and it's been said many times before. It might sound a bit. You know, again, there's another word in Australia, like wanky. I don't know if that – do you have that term there? It, it sounds really kind of cliche, yeah. if that makes sense, where um, it, it it does bring people together. Music does. It, it knows no boundaries. It doesn't speak a certain language. People either – you know, it, it, it's just something that connects us all. And it's been said a million times and it sounds corny and it sounds cheesy, but it's so true. Like I've been – you know, there, there are so many – bands or albums that I've discovered through the vinyl community on Instagram, um, as I hope many people have discovered some of my favorite bands and favorite artists um, through Instagram. Um, because of, you know, it could be someone from Russia, could be someone from America, from Indonesia. It's just got that, you know, especially music combined with, with social media and specifically the Instagram platform, it, it, it provides uh that 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 level of engagement that wasn't around before where you know you could yeah you knew music was international but you didn't really realize on that granular level that okay there's 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 a kid in brazil that's spinning you know mf doom um you know like it's 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 you kind of you know what i mean like it's 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 got that thing which i love about it and i love you know, just looking at where my followers come from, where my most amount of engagement comes from, and it's 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 quite amazing. I, you know, up until I I, I got that uh, that that type of analytical data, I just assumed that most of my contacts were you know in Australia, maybe America, maybe the UK. I don't know, but yeah, I was quite blown away to see that they came from all parts of the world, which just proves my point that music is universal and it and it, it knows no boundaries. Yeah, and it, it's and it's wonderful to 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 share, you know, to find people that are excited about a small artist as you are, you mm. know, and it's it's sort of um, it gives you more chances to to touch on if you know if your friends at a party didn't like that record that you really <laughs> loved, you know, yep. you find someone in, in in for me in Australia or in you know South America that does, and you mm. can talk about it with him, and it's it's oh, the yeah. same. You know, it's 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 great, and it's that's like I said, it's per, the, really the positive side of social media, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always have to defend it a little bit because people have through the media and all that stuff just just see sort of like the the negative effect it has on people. But I do think, for the most part, if if not for all, the whole part, you know, yes, there are negative aspects to social media. There's there's online bullying, there's cyber bullying, there's you know, a lot of bad things that happen on the internet and lots of bad things that happen through keyboard warriors on social media and whatnot. But I think for the most part, the vinyl community, like a lot of other communities online, it, it's quite a it, it, it's quite a cohesive one. It's quite a loving one where everyone kind of supports each other. And, you know, I've gotten in, in, in contact with a lot of people who do effectively what I do, to share what they love. They share a hobby. Um, you know, to me, collecting vinyl is no different to collecting stamps or it, 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 it's a hobby and it's, 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 it's great to meet 
other like-minded people. And there have been people who, you know, have travelled to Sydney and said and, and and looked me up and said, hey, I know you're in Sydney. Are you keen to grab a beer? Are you keen to, you know, show me where to buy records in your city? And I'll be more than happy to help them, much like how when I've been in London or New York or, you know, wherever I've been, I put the feelers out there on my feed and so many people come back to me with suggestions. You know, it's it's quite rare to get that. Um, and I think if not for Instagram, that, that you know, wouldn't exist. Yeah, there's forums and, you know, back in the day there were chat rooms and things like that. But to get that instantaneous feedback is um, is pretty remarkable. And I think that's a really good end word. Thank you so much for taking your time. And um, even though you didn't invent the genre, I, I still... <laughs> partly believe it. You, you, I mean, you know, your wife invented it, basically. Then <laughs> <laughs> let's let's say that. Let's yeah, say that. Like that's good. That. It's, yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time. And thank you very much. It's my pleasure to chat with you. And thanks so much for um, for having me on.